Hello, I'm Isaac Saxton, and today I will be interviewing my father-in-law, uh, who was in the Air Force for 31 and a half years. Um, he is currently the VSO uh, for what county? McDowell. McDowell County in North Carolina. So if you find yourself in that area and have questions, um, and you're a veteran, uh, go and see him and Marion um, at the... Uh, senior center? Senior center. Awesome. So, um, just, uh, tell us who you are. My name is, as Isaac said, my name is David Bird. Uh, retired in 2016 after 31 and a half years in the Air Force. Retired as an E-8. Uh, my job was, uh, what's commonly known in the civilian world as human resources. Anything having to do with ID cards, decorations, promotions, performance reports, you name it, any, any of that stuff is what we handled. So uh, when you retired, what uh, rank did you retire at? I retired as an E-8, Senior Master Sergeant. Awesome. Um, so was there any um, uh, special assignments that you preferred um, or duty stations that you really enjoyed? Uh, over the others? Probably my last three bases, last two jobs. Uh, I was at Keesler Air Force Base, Biloxi, Mississippi, and uh, Marksville Air Force Base, Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, those two bases, I was the base individual mobilization and augmentee administrator. Um, IMA is a reservist that is assigned to an active duty unit. Uh, they do their days with the active duty unit, not with a reserve unit. So they're totally assigned to active duty. Their uh, boss is, is active duty. Uh, those were two interesting jobs. My last job was at um, Shepard Air Force Base, Wichita Falls, Texas. I was there for four years. I was a reserve liaison. We had students that came right out of basic training there to Shepard for tech school. And we basically took care of them if they had any needs, pay issues, promotion, anything like that. We were there for them. That's really cool. Um, so you spent some time as a reservist and then went active duty? No, uh, started off active duty first. Okay. Did 10 years of active duty and then got off active duty after 10 years and did reserves for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 2007, I became what was called a an AGR, Active Guard Reserve. I was a reservist on active duty had all the benefits of active duty pay promotion all that kind of good stuff but with none of the bad stuff okay and did that transition kind of happen around 2001 um after 9-11 or how did that work 2001 9-11 led up to that uh after 9-11 happened uh in december they activated me for a year i was reserved at that time i was living in, in north carolina um, my reserve unit was Charleston, South Carolina, so they, they called me up and activated me for a year. I spent a year at Charleston from December 2001 to December 2002, uh, and then they let me go in December 2002, but they called me back in February of 2003 for another year. Uh, after that time, uh, that would have been 2004, I took a, a active reserve technician, an ARC position, mm -hmm. um, GS-9, and I did that for a couple of years. And then that transition, I moved into the AGR program in, in 2007. Okay, that's really cool. So yeah, 2011 led to that, okay. eventually. So 2001 <clears throat> led to that? Yes. Okay, yeah. 
Um, and then, uh, uh, where were you in 2001? Like, when 9-11 happened, what was that like for you? I was only nine. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we were living in North Carolina, and I was working third shift, doing my reserve time in Charleston, um, and I would get, I would get home in the morning, so we worked from 11 at night to 7 in the morning, and I would get home. And my wife would be getting the kids ready, and I would I would take them to school since I was up. And then after dropping them off at school, I would stop by my mom and dad's and visit with them for a few minutes, and then go back home before I, I go to bed, sleep for a few hours. Um, that morning, September 11th, I had left my parents' house and was headed back home, listening to the radio, listening to the radio station out of Charlotte. And uh, the DJs on there, you know, said we have a breaking news story about when the first airplane hit the tower, mm. and I'm like. I called my wife and I was like, cut on the TV. I said, something's going on. And by the time I got home, the, the second plane had hit the tower. And so, you know, we're sitting there watching TV, you know, just, you know, what in the world is going on. And I, I watched TV. I didn't go to bed till probably afternoon, probably 12, 1 o'clock before I finally laid down for a few hours because I had to go back to work at 11 o'clock that night. So I needed some sleep. Oh, man. But I, I just couldn't, I couldn't leave the TV. I was just so transfixed. By what was going on and, and, and how our world at that point was not going to be the same ever again. Yeah. So did that, uh, did that lead to deployments for you while on reserve? It did. Um, after they activated, activated me the first time, there was no deployments. It was strictly going to Charleston, and we were working on activating reservists and deploying them for that first year. And then the second year of my deployment, which started in February 2003, um, I deployed first to uh, Qatar. Uh, I was there for three months. Uh, we were in charge of in processes anyone that came to the base, uh, any kind of personnel work. Again, you know the human resources aspect, right? Uh, any of that type of stuff. And then uh, 2006, deployed again. Uh, this time we went to Kuwait. And same thing. We were in charge of. We were actually, in 2006, we were actually stationed at the airport. Okay. And we would get the folks as they flew in, in the country. And mm -hmm. we would process them there. Because um, that's that's what our, on the human resources side, your job in a deployment is numbers. Right. The commander needs to know how many cops he has, how many firemen he has, how many pilots he has. And so that was our responsibility was keeping the numbers. So we had to meet each plane and say, okay, there's 50 people got off this plane. There's X number of this job, X number of this year, civil engineers, airport, whatever their job was, it was our job to keep those numbers, and so the commanders would know, hey, I've got these number, I need more of these or less of these. Okay, um, and did you uh, take in other branches on in that airport as yep. well? So we had all NATO countries, I mean, we had folks from England, Australia, Italy, I mean, they were wow. everywhere coming into to both, of the, both of the locations that we were at. Plus, we dealt, when I was in Qatar, we dealt a lot with the um, the Qatari government. Right. Because, you know, they would, they wanted to know how many Americans that we, we had in country. Just not letting us loose throughout exactly. their country. Exactly, yeah. What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, did any interesting stories um, come from your deployments? Uh, like, gifts sent home or interesting things that you did while you were there or? the first deployment was started out on the little frustrating side because we i was a reservist 
And at that time, uh, reservists were known were just known for weekend warriors. Right. You know, they they did their one weekend a month, two weeks a year, and that was it. You never saw them again. Uh, and so when we deployed, the active duty at that time still looked at us as weekend warriors. And so they, you know, they didn't think, you know, they didn't think an E-7 in reserves was the same as an E-7 in active duty, which was, you know, we kind of broke through that glass ceiling. Yeah. And so that, that was kind of frustrating. They, they kind of treated us in the beginning like basically second-class citizens. But once they saw that we actually knew what we were doing, then we got, we got more respect. Do you feel like it uh, helped you being an active duty first before you went reservist, or did you see I, I any do. difference of the I do. It, training? It, it, I got to see both sides of it. Okay. Um, you know, when you're, when you're active duty, when I was active duty, I had no idea that there was such a thing as a reserve or guard. Oh, okay. Didn't even know they existed. Wow. And then once I got into the reserves, and you see that side of it, that they're, you know, they train just like active duty does, um, you know, Yes, for a time there, during peacetime, they were just the weekend warriors. They did the one weekend a month, the two weeks a year. But that one weekend, man, you talk about being, it was two eight-hour days that were filled up with training from the time you got up in the morning to the to the time you got off duty. Ugh. So there, it, it was it was a busy weekend. Yeah. Same for the two weeks. And during the two weeks, you got to do your more specialized training, your gas mask training, your sea burning, your first aid training, any of that, your marksmanship any of that specialized training that maybe you couldn't do on the weekend, then you had those two weeks to do that training. Yeah. And and did that um, that really hurt coming back to the normal work schedule right after that weekend, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, it was tough. Yeah. Uh, most of the, I, I was working third shift, and so I would I would leave Charleston at like 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the afternoon. It was a four-hour drive back home. To Marion? To Marion. Okay. And so I would get home at 8, 8.30 at night, and I'd have to be at work at 11 o'clock that night and work till 7 o'clock Monday morning. <laughs> so that next week, I mean, you're talking, you were working 12 consecutive days. Oh, my goodness. Because you work your five days, then you work the weekend with your reserve duty, and then you come back and you work another full work week until you finally got a day off. Wow. So that was, that was those were some long 12 days. And that's one, that's once a month you do that. Every month, you're working 12 consecutive days. Wow. <clears throat> That's crazy. Um, let's see. Uh, if you could go back and do it, would you change anything that you did as far as like reserve time, active duty time, um, when you would have started and stopped, taking yeah. a break, all that kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, the only thing that I would probably change, it was, we thought it was the right decision at the time, would be to stay active duty. Mm. Um, but... In saying that, there were also some things that happened. Sorry, there were also some things that happened because I was reserved and because we were back home around family that we probably wouldn't have been able to experience if I had stayed active duty and been stationed, you know, anywhere around the world. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a give and take. Yes, I would like to go back and stay active duty, but because I didn't. There were, like I said, there were things that that we were able to do that we wouldn't have been able to do. Right. Um, Kids I, were closer to their grandparents. Right. That's nice. Family. Uh, I know Jessica, my wife, really appreciated that time close to her yeah. grandparents and yeah. stuff, especially because for well, almost her entire life after that, y'all were moving around the rest yeah. of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, did your family respond in any certain way, like? 
Like, how did you join? What made you join and stuff like that? I had a big Air Force influence. My dad was in World War II. He was in the Army. But after that, I had three sisters that were married to Air Force members. Okay. And I would go and visit them at their bases. Um, you know, I was single, and so I was able to go and, and visit them at their different bases. And so I saw the Air Force side of things, and I, that's... That was a big influence on my decision. I saw what they were doing, and I, and I liked what was going on. So that was, yes, that was a big influence on me joining the yeah. Air Force. Um, and uh, did uh, did it, for the people who didn't go in, did that change y'all's relationship at all? Did it lead to some misunderstanding as far as, like, quality time, decisions you had to make? Because I... Because I know a little bit of, like, the civilian versus military side as far as, like, some people in my family just didn't understand um, that the military asks you to do something right. and you can't just take off whenever. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, you have really nice long weekends a lot of times. <laughs> and so, like, they're like, when do you work? And you're like, well, I work all the time nonstop. So was, was it like that for you at all? It really wasn't because, like I said, I had three sisters that married Air Force men. Mm -hmm. And so my family pretty much knew the sacrifices that you had to make when you joined the military. So it was... Did you find that on, on uh, your wife's side of the family at all? Or are they pretty understanding as well? They were pretty understanding as well. Um, I think her mom, her mom more than her dad... Uh, didn't like the fact that we lived so far from home. But on the other hand, it gave them, they always came, they came to visit us at every base we were at except for one. Yeah. They came to Colorado when Allison was born, my youngest. They came and visited us in Mississippi. They came and visited us in Texas. The only place they didn't come was Louisiana. Wow. Uh, so, um, what was boot camp like for you? 1985. 1985, yes. <laughs> uh, I, Boot camp to me was, it was tough. You know, it was the, the first time that I had been away, been away from home for that long period of time. I mean, mm -hmm. I had been away from home for, you know, a couple weeks at a time, but it was the first time, I mean, basic training back then was six weeks for us. Okay, I, mean, it's not eight I was weeks. about to ask that. It was six weeks for us. So that, you know, the first three, four days was, was kind of rough because, you know, I'm, I'm, I was a little homesick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was 23 years old, but I was still a little homesick. But once you, I think for me, once I got into the routine of basic training, you know, you get up at a certain time, you know, you got X, these things that you do every day. Once I got into that routine, then it was fine. I didn't have any issues, made some good friends. Yeah. How was your, how was your follow on schools? Following school, after we graduated basic training, I went to Keisha Air Force Base in Mississippi for personnel school, which was eight weeks. Okay. Um, that was good as well. Um, had good roommates, uh, enjoyed the school. Boot camp kind of helped adjust your time away from home yes. and yes. that kind of response mentally. Yes. Awesome. Um, any good stories from boot camp? Our... <laughs> About, let's see, boot camp was six weeks, so probably about four, four and a half weeks into it, our drill instructor was just gone. <laughs> what in the I world? I no idea what happened to him, and so we got a new drill instructor, and he was not happy. I think, 
I, we, we didn't, you know, nobody told us what was going on. It's just like, you know, this guy's gone. Now you, this is your new drill instructor. And I think what happened is our new drill instructor was supposed to have a break. And so I think he was mad because uh, he didn't get that yeah. break. And so he took it out on us. And he was pretty rough on us this last two weeks. I mean, we were out on the parade field, you know, marching, getting ready for graduation. And he was like yelling at us every time we were out there and calling us every name under the sun. And I just think, <laughs> you know, he was mad because he was looking forward to break and he didn't get that break. Yeah. Being so a he took it out on rough. us. Yeah. I, I remember having some of those kinds of people to deal with while I was in too. Um, see uh so what are you doing now as far as like uh with your time and stuff you i know you're a vso but what does that entail a veteran service officer um is probably the best job i've had other than being in the military i've been a, a veteran service officer for almost a year now okay. uh, january will be a year uh, and what i do is i help veterans apply for benefits from the va uh, service connected um, either being from an injury that they occurred while they were in uh, service, um, a disease basically that comes out. A lot of we, I deal a lot with the uh, Agent Orange effects on Vietnam vets, which range from anything from diabetes to heart disease to hypothyroidism. You know, you name it. There's a, a wide variety of complications that came from the military using Agent Orange. And so I help these veterans apply for these benefits to get compensation from the VA. What would you say is your best success story from being a VSO so far? Anytime that I can help a veteran apply, and I've had several veterans that have come in and just thank me that they've got. I had one guy came in a couple weeks ago. He got 50%, and he was just so happy that he was able to get um, something from the VA for, for the time that he had served and, and for the things that he had gone through. I see a lot of folks now, especially with uh, Gulf War, uh, with PTSD, a lot yeah. of folks with PTSD. And so it's rewarding for me to be able to get those guys some help from the VA, which yeah. is, you know, they sorely needed. So what wars did did you serve when, or when you were serving? What wars actually went on that you saw directly influence your career? Uh, I served all the way from the first Gulf War, all the way up to current, all the way up to 2016, just yeah, five years ago. Right. You know, is all the way up to, to, you know, to the end of the Gulf War almost. So, I mean, just everything having to do with everything that went on over there, I was involved with it. Wow. Okay. That's crazy. Um, do you feel like your time in service, um made a difference or allowed a path for people to follow you and uh and and change something you know? <laughs> ah, my chair just broke <laughs> i think that's the reason i still was down here because it was broken before awesome cool no <laughs> i'll do the rest of the interview while saying it again. <laughs> i'm gonna leave that in there just because no injuries were uh, <laughs> no i'm good i'm good came apart, but it was all, this all right um so do you feel like you influenced uh, the people that followed behind you? I like to think I did. Um, you know, I, I was always taught by my dad to, to leave it better than you found it. And so I always tried to do that with every job I had. Just try to, to make a difference and just do the best job you can while you're there and leave behind. You know, when the next person comes in, they don't have to struggle to know what to do. We, we, were, we were taught in the Air Force to leave what we called a continuity book, where 
you could take this binder and you can open it up and from step one you could read exactly what needed to be done in this job that's awesome um we did similar stuff like that um and we just call them turnover binders yeah. and they were almost messed up i like when i first got there it was messed up and hadn't been touched since like five years prior yeah. and they weren't even using computers as much it was just the last couple jobs I had, I had, there were no continuity binders, and so I made one. Yeah, I, I did a lot of that in my time. Because you know when you get to base that you're not going to be there most of the time for 10 years. Right. So you, you have to you, you you have to write these things down. And, you know, points of contact may change. Phone numbers probably don't change, but, you know, points of contact may change. But as long as someone that comes in after me has a phone number, then they can call and, you know, find a point of contact that they need to talk to for whatever the situation may be. Yeah. So we always tried to do that at every job that I was at. I always tried to train my junior Marines to know who to talk to mm -hmm. so that way when their next NCO or whoever came in, they could be like, here's the name, here's yep. the number. I already yep. know the guy. I've dealt with him before. Yep. Yep. So that way that was just continuously a, a good thing. Yeah. Um, made... It made transitioning to a new unit oh, yeah. so much easier for the definitely, next guy. Definitely. Um, so did I, uh, when you came home from deployment, what was what was that like? Any any struggles there? The first time when I came back, it was it was an adjustment. I'd been gone for three months, and when you're deployed, you're with a core group of people. And you depend on those people for everything. I mean, you hang out with those people. You're working 12 hours a day, six days a week. You get one day off. At least in my job, that's, that's the way we worked. And so that was your group. And the first time I came back, you know, every, all the family wanted to see me. And I was like this big crowd. And I was just like, I had to go outside. I felt like, you know, the walls were closing in and I couldn't breathe. And I'm like, so I just had to step outside for a few minutes. And so that was, that was, uh. I wasn't I wasn't prepared for that. Mm -hmm. I guess is the best word for it. And so that was by the second deployment, I was more prepared for that, and it was it was easier coming back. But that first one, it was uh, it was a, it was a it was a shock to me. Yeah. Did you face any like uh, real negatives as far as from family and stuff coming home? No. From deployments. No. Family was all good. They they were very supportive. You know, while I was deployed, they would send me letters, um, cookies. All kind of, you it's know, always nice. Yeah, so I, got, I got great care packages while That's I was awesome. So were I was, you were you married for your first deployment? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because that didn't happen till two thousand three. Three. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Uh, do you have any opinions or anything like that on where the military is at or? I think I retired is a good time. There were some changes that were coming along when I retired in 2016 that um, I didn't agree with. I wasn't happy about, and um, I think it was it was I I could tell that it was it was time for me to go. Yeah, it was my time to to move on and let somebody else come in. Um, I think there, there's more support needs to be given to the military. You don't know about the military life unless you've actually lived the military life. Right. Um, 
it's it's a different animal. It is. And it's a totally different world, and a lot of a lot of people don't realize that. Don't they don't think about that? Yeah, and that's and that's part of one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because I want to kind of shed some light on the background and like what it's actually like being in. And you, like you said, you can't do that truly unless you're actually right. in. Yeah. But as as much as I can, um, giving people some insight as to um, what veterans are like and, and things that we faced while we were in and some of the daily struggles and stuff like that. What was the technology change like for you? Uh, it was funny. The last job I had, as I said, was a reserve liaison, and we, we would get students right out of basic training, 18, 19, 20-year-old students, right out of basic training going to tech school. And... Uh, they would they would get to our, to our base on Monday, and we would we would brief them on Tuesday. And so I always loved one of the first things that I liked talking to them about was I would tell them this story. In 1985, when I joined the Air Force, there was one computer in the entire building. <laughs> that was it. And I would spend I would I would have my days you know normally Thursday and Friday I would go back to where the computer was at and I would input anything I needed to do. And the next day, I would get a printout that would tell me if my inputs got accepted or rejected. And so I would tell them that story, and then I would pull my cell phone out. I said that we had one we had one computer in the entire building, and I would pull my cell phone out, and I said, now you carry a computer around in your pocket. Yeah. That's how much technology changed in 30 years. Yeah, that's insane. I, I mean, even when I was a kid, we had dial-up, floppy disks were still a thing. Yep, yep. I learned um, to type by, on a manual typewriter. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Um, so what was what was it like uh, changing over? Probably what was two thousand era yep. when um, filing became electronic and stuff like yep. that for you. In the human resources world, loved it. Um, when I first joined, I said I, I learned on a manual typewriter. Mm-hmm. We had one form, which is the emergency contact form that you could not make a mistake on. It had to be typed perfectly. And so if you could type 60 words a minute, 70 words a minute, you became a one letter at a time typer because you did not want to make a mistake. There's many times, and it was like, the form was like six or eight lines. Yeah. And so there's many, many times that I got to the last line and I would hit the wrong letter. So guess what? Form comes out of the typewriter, you rip it in half, and you have to start all over. <laughs> With a computer, you make a mistake, you backspace, that letter goes away, and you start retyping again. Yes. And so the technology for, for personnelists was wonderful. And that was probably, what, confidential stuff, so you had oh, yeah. to burn all that stuff. Yep. 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 Burn bag was full right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. Well, um, anything that you would... Uh, say to people that are interested in the military um, recommendations on branch and pretty sure I think I know what you're going to say there or uh, Marine Corps um, <laughs> um, no um, or I don't know anything like that civilians looking in couple couple comments the military is a great path um, it's not for everybody you know, I'm biased toward the Air Force because I spent 30 years in the Air Force. So I know I know more about the Air Force than I do any other branch of the service. Um, the thing that uh, 
I think the Air Force has over the other branches is that it more prepares you for life outside of the Air Force. Yeah. Um, we actually have our own community college where you can actually get a two-year degree through the Air Force, community college of the Air Force. It's more of a preparation for the outside life. Whether you whether you join and do four years or you do 30 years like I did. I, it's it's Like I said, it's not for everybody, but there are a lot of opportunities that you can free training. You know, if you want to be an electrician, join the Air Force and they'll train you to be an electrician. If you want to be a plumber, join the Air Force and they'll train you to be a plumber. Yeah. If you want to be a human resources guy, join the Air Force and they'll train you how to be a human resources person. The rules on the outside are a little bit different than they are in the military, so that will be that's a transition no matter what branch of service you go into. Um, but otherwise, the core knowledge that you get, the core training that you get, transitions over beautifully. And the nice thing is nowadays, a lot of those uh, trainings actually um, go towards college credits. Yep. So if you want to go to a tech school or something like that, the military has all kinds of schools that will directly tie into what you learned in the military and and so your transition is a whole lot easier now than i guess when when you were looking at even getting out oh yes the transition now when i when i got off active duty in 1995 after 10 years there was no transition briefing whatsoever nothing i got nothing yeah i got you want to get out okay sign this paper here we're gonna we're we're gonna sign you to the reserve And, and by that time i knew a little bit about the reserves so I knew what I was getting into, but there was no other briefing. There was no other, this is what to expect. Here, let us help you fill out a resume. When I retired in 2016, I had a five days, eight hours a day class that there were different subjects each day, including how to do a resume, how to do an interview, what questions to ask to an interview, how to respond to questions in an interview, job searches, how to do all that. There was a VA rep that came in and told you about all the big VA benefits, including contacting your VSO. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a full week of briefings that I had that I didn't have 20 years previously when I got out. So the, it it's changed a lot over, over that that period of time for the better. So I guess you could say you're a veteran second award. Exactly. <laughs> so yes. not only do we have a veteran, you know, um, double awarded. That's really cool. Um, well, it has come a long way, which is great. Um, and the civilian support to the, towards the military has really grown, Yes, which is great. Um, I know talking to a lot of veterans, they faced a lot of, um, pains, um, coming back mm-hmm. from deployment. Yeah. And, um, so you have a lot of negative negativity towards the military from old vets, not because of their time in the military, but because of the civilian's attitude towards the military well, members when, when they, they came back. back. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so that it's which is which is sad on our part. It's it's it really it's is. a black eye on the United States of the way we treated a lot of, mostly the Vietnam era vets. Yeah. When they came back from just doing what they were told to do. Yeah. And uh I I guess that kind of um carries us over into uh do you have anything for civilians like um as far as uh, people who never served, maybe some things to say. Okay, this is something to look out for, um, or or comments towards civilians as far as 
encouraging them in certain ways or enlightening them about veterans or something. I would say the best thing that you can do if you see someone, whether you're at Walmart, the grocery store, wherever, if they have a military, and most of the time, if it's a, if it's a man, they'll have a hat on. If they have a hat on, the best thing you can do, the easiest thing you can do, is just walk up to them and say, thank you for your service. And you have no idea how much it will mean to that veteran. My wife does it all the time. Yeah. She'll see someone no matter where we're at. And I mean, she's a military spouse, but I think she would do it even if she wasn't a military spouse. But because she was a military spouse, she knows the sacrifices that that veteran has given. And so she'll just say, thank you for your service. And a lot of times, you know, the the, the veteran is surprised you yeah. know, because they don't get that. Mm-hmm. So that's, to me, that's the easiest thing you can do. If you see someone, just say thank you for your service. Yeah, and Simple I, and easy. And I would definitely say double down on the older vets. Yes. Um, just because of how bad of a time that they've had. Yes. Um, I, and, and I guess the negative attitudes toward the veterans and even active duty nowadays, um, I, I guess that kind of ties into um, talking directly to whoever's listening. If... If you are feeling um, down or feeling like you need to talk to someone, um, please message. Uh, we're massive advocate for 22 a day um, and IGY6 um, suicide awareness. Or if you just need to talk to somebody because you're having a rough time, um, contact your VSO. Contact other veterans that are around you. Call up the people that you served with. I guarantee they're going through similar cir- circumstances and struggles. Um, and, and for the civilians out there who don't know, uh, be aware that the sacrifices that these people um, make, not every military member makes it to the battlefield. Not every military member makes it to deployment before they lose their life to the struggles and, and problems that we face while in. Um, so, uh, yeah, just be aware of that. And, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you for, uh, giving us, uh, your interview today. And, uh, it's really been a privilege. Um, any last remarks that you want to say? Going back to what you were just talking about, there are, there are numerous organizations out there. American Legion, Veterans of Foreign Wars, Vietnam Veterans, just to name a few. Find one of those. There are folks that are in those that are feeling the exact same thing that you're feeling, and that's what those organizations are there for, to, to reconnect with your fellow military members and to find that, that common ground that, that you may be looking for. Awesome. Well, um, this is the kind of podcast that you can look forward to. Um, I'm going to be interviewing other military veterans um, going forward. Um, as as they're willing, I'm not gonna strong arm anybody into it. Um, but sharing the stories um, and kind of giving everybody uh, just uh, insight to the to the lives of these uh, military members. Um, and if it, you are a military member and you want to share your story, just get in contact with me, and uh, we'll see about setting up an interview. We can do these um, over the phone um, and. Uh, social distance or whatever you want to do, whatever makes you feel comfortable. And um, if you just need somebody to talk to, I'm here for that as well. And uh, 
we'll figure out resources for you regardless of what you need. All right. Thank you very much.